Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. But guys, before we do, I gotta ask, it's New Year's. What New Year's resolutions have you guys made? Well, I'm still in the process of figuring it out because we're recording this. Yes. Before we get to the new year. So I'm, I'm thinking about it. But one thing I have decided, my resolution is to read less books. Really? Yes. So I, I heard something about how, you know, like slow, thoughtful reading is better at certain things than like covering a lot of material. And so I thought, you know what? I am in the habit of just like plowing through books and that's great for certain things. But I need to like say, all right, my goal is to actually slowly read through and think and process about a few really good books rather than a huge quantity of books. So fewer books this year. Wow. I am astonished. I know. Me too. I don't think you're going to be able to do it. I'm not sure <laughs> either. I, I, like it, That's I have a, a problem. big one. I have a problem, guys. I'm pretty sure Clayton in public saying that his goal is to read less books is one of the signs of the end times. <laughs> this is, this we're, is it, guys. We're close to the second coming of Christ at this point. Yeah, that's pretty big. Nikki? Uh, for me... I actually want to. I want to. I want to be more intentional about traveling more this year. I I don't really go on many vacations. I don't really travel much outside of the local area, and I just I want to get out and I want to see the world a little bit more. Do you ever go outside of the radius of the two miles between your house and the church? Not usually, because pretty much every store and restaurant you it's need right is between your house and this here. This is true. Yeah. This is true. So Nikki's entire existence is in South Elgin, Illinois. It's very true. So I want to be less boring and go see the world. So how about you, Eric? Well, something really amazing happened in 2022. Really? I reached perfection. <laughs> so I have. This is this is equivalent of what Corey uh, said. Listen, I was I was as surprised as everybody else. So I don't have any New Year's resolutions, but we'll see what happens in 2023. It's, it's all downhill from here. Yeah, like, you've reached your <laughs> like peak. You've reached, reached the peak. But I, I was reading an article in the paper about the number one New Year's resolution in the United States of America for 2023. Do you have any really? guess what that might be? Uh, exercise. Uh, yeah, like yeah, I was gonna say like lose weight, exercise, no, you're, eat you're, healthy. You are you are far from the correct answer. What? The number one New Year's resolution in the United States of America is to listen to the Bible Savvy podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh! So Clayton, I didn't since, say, that was good. That was since good. we obviously have so many new listeners here in the new year, yes. Why don't you give our new listeners an overview of what's going on? Well, greetings, America! Now that you are <laughs> yes. listening. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, a new passage and a new book of the Bible today. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to kind of orient us to what we do here at the podcast. Some of you are actually new listeners, or maybe you jumped in you know, recently, but uh, are still trying to pick up kind of how this is formatted. Um, what we do is try and model a Bible reading method that we have uh, taught for, for decades now here at Christ Community Church that tries to make it straightforward and simple of how do you actually go about finding something uh, meaningful in the Bible that you can apply to your life. Um, and we've put it into an acronym. Uh, the acronym is COMMA, uh, C-O-M-M-A, and each of those stands for one of the steps. And they're all important. If you skip one, uh, you're, you're going to be missing something in the, the Bible reading process. Uh, C stands for context. Oh, and, and here's one way I think about this, okay? It's kind of like an episode of Law & Order. 
You ever watch Law and Order? Mm, no. Law? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, no. this analogy is falling okay, is flat not, with Nikki. This is not working. But perhaps there are other people out there, there that are have. There people who watch it. So here's the deal with Enlighten Law and Order. Me. There's a reason that Dick Wolf is a millionaire. Yes. Lots of people watch this. Um, Law and Order, every single episode has the exact same format. Like, it's all the same, okay? A crime happens, they, the people go and investigate it, they gather clues, they figure out what's going on, they make a proposal, and then, dun-dun, it gets handed over to the lawyers who say, now what do we do with this, okay? Comma is a little bit like that. So the way comma works is it's uh, context is the C. That's when you show up and you look at the scene, okay? So it's like the police showing up and saying, what, what's going on? What's the situation? What's the setting? And we say, okay, what's the context of this passage? Because if you don't get that, you're going to misinterpret things. Observation is like when the uh, detectives are looking for clues. They're saying, oh, here's a little evidence. Here's a little evidence. They don't necessarily know what it means yet, but they're kind of gathering all the things they see and, and can perceive. Uh, then you go to M, which is meaning, or sometimes meditation. We'll talk about those. Um, meaning is, or message, is when you get the uh, meaning of the passage. You say, given what we saw, what does this mean? You try to sum it up in one thing. That's almost like the detective saying, here's what we think happened uh, at this crime scene. And then uh, meditation is when you don't just read the Bible, you talk about the Bible to God. You, you listen to him, you talk to him about it. You say, all right, let me process this spiritually. And then A is application, which is saying, all right, so what do I do about this? This is almost like uh, the lawyers saying, all right, so what do we do with this situation? There was a crime. We need to you know, bring a certain verdict and a sentence and so on. So uh, every episode's the same, but because you're looking at different passages, that method brings out different things. So uh, there you go. That is the comma method. I do feel very enlightened. Thank you for that. I wish that I knew that that law and order analogy was coming because I would have put the law and order the sound, sound on my sound effects panel. But I do want to say, Clayton, that was a pretty remarkable analogy. Yeah, it was. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you like it. Hopefully, hopefully it helps people get into the Bible. So I don't know. Or, or now they're like, you know what I'm going to do? I feel like watching I'm TV. I'm going to watch law and order. <laughs> I, I don't have a law and order sound. So well. I'll just play this. That's uh, maybe there's an episode with monkeys in it. That I don't works. know. I don't know. So here's here's what we're gonna get started with uh, the book of First Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. So it's in the New Testament, and Paul was a leader in the early church. He went around the Roman Empire and he started little communities of of Jesus followers uh, everywhere he went. And those little churches uh, faced all sorts of challenges in kind of the the early life of the the, the Christian movement. And so what Paul did as he was traveling around, he would write letters to the churches that he had left behind, and he would give them uh, encouragement and advice and answer questions and so on. And it turns out the church in the city of Corinth had all sorts of issues. Uh, the way the book of, of Corinth, uh, Corinthians reads is Paul almost has a list of saying, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, and he addresses it kind of systematically as he does that. Um, so we're going to be reading this for the, the next couple of weeks here, um, but we're going to start here in chapter one, and Paul kind of gets at the heart of things here. So um, Eric, why don't you read, uh, starting in chapter one, we're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to go all the way to chapter two, verse five. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. All right. We are going to start with O, which stands for observation. This is the part, uh, like I said, where the detectives come in and they look for clues. And so we are uh, noting things in the text that stand out uh, for various reasons. So what do you guys see here? Uh, there are a ton of repeating words and phrases in this you, you can't miss them like the and contrast as well like this uh, repeating refrain of like foolish uh what like the foolishness and wisdom and then like a contrast of like wisdom versus foolishness or like the wisdom of god versus human wisdom um power uh weakness strong like it's, it's just a ton of a repeating, lot of repeating words yeah yeah my observation starts in verse 20. It's a bit of a combination of the, those several verses where Paul seems to be saying, God at his dumbest moment <laughs> is way smarter than our smartest moment. So he, I, I like the contrast between the wisdom of God and the foolishness of people and how smart we all think we are mm -hmm. and how advanced we all think we are. Yeah. I made the observation of um, in verse 22 and kind of following that, it seems like there are kind of a couple groups of people they're talking about, the Jews uh, and the Greeks or the, the Gentiles. Um, for those of you who might be wondering what's the deal with these, these groups, um, the, the Jews were the uh, people that uh, God had chosen to work with. Uh, that's the, in the Old Testament. It's the story of the people who came from uh, Abraham, who came became the nation of Israel. Uh, and into the New Testament, uh, the first followers of Jesus were all Jewish because Jesus was Jewish and he, he taught uh, Jewish people. Um, and so the, the church begins with uh, mostly a Jewish community. But then after a while, the message starts to go out beyond that culture, beyond that people group. And... Uh, 
everybody who's not Jewish, uh, the term was Gentile. So it's kind of a catch all for any other culture that's out there. Um, and one of the main cultures that people were interacting with at that time would have been Greek. So, uh, sometimes, uh, when you come across in the new Testament, the phrase Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile, it kind of means the same thing. It's a shorthand way of saying anybody who's not Jewish. Um, but what's interesting about this is, uh, Paul seems to be highlighting how these different cultures react differently Mm-hmm. to the message of the cross. You know, it's, it's saying, you know, the, the Jews are looking for one thing. You know, they're looking for signs. They're looking for uh, miraculous things. And uh, Greek people, they're interested in knowledge and wisdom. So they're kind of looking for, uh, you know, uh, something really eloquent and interesting or whatever. Um, but when they face the cross, both of them are kind of confronted with something that they weren't expecting that almost feels offensive to them because they were looking for one thing and they found almost its opposite or what seemed like its opposite. Yeah, I think sometimes when you read the Bible, we forget that this is real human history. And we all know like Greek philosophy, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. And so we know that the Greeks loved philosophy and the more eloquent and complex thinking was, the more they thought it was worth ascribing to. And Paul comes and says, Christ crucified. So it is, it is not appetizing to someone that is looking for something more complex. Yeah. Well, and with the, with, uh, the, the Jewish people at the time, um, they're looking back at their history and mm-hmm. they're saying every time God did something incredible, it was Moses, Red Sea and plagues and escape Egypt and Joshua. We're going to you know, walk across a, a, a river and you know, knock down Jericho and David and Goliath. Like they're looking at these wondrous things. And so they're expecting that when the Messiah shows up, he's going he's gonna to do some amazing stuff that's going to knock your socks off because they know that's their history. And they're, they're surrounded by people who don't understand them, don't get them, don't like them. So they're hoping for a hero. And when, when Paul says the hero has come and the Romans totally crushed him and killed him, like they're saying that doesn't look anything like what we expected. So there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a counterintuitive thing to, to the message of the cross. Yeah, and then when you look at the Gentile side of things for the Romans and the Greeks, like they wouldn't be looking for anyone uh, no. to be crucified, to be the savior of the world. Like obviously no reputable person would have been crucified back then. Yeah, I mean, crucifixion, I, we, we miss this. Because uh, crosses are so common. It's like the standard symbol for Christianity, and there's you know a couple billion of us. So at the time, though, when you've got this random small group of people, and they're, they're talking about the cross like it's a big deal and a good thing, um, that's like people, you know, it, the classic thing is like if you're going to wear a necklace that has a cross on it, that's like, that's where, like wearing a noose around your neck. It, it's that shocking. You're like, what, what, are you, what are you about here that you would make this your symbol? Um, that's that's how they're experiencing this. The Romans are like rebels, traitors, slaves. This is this is such a gruesome way to die. We don't even talk about it in polite company. So mm-hmm. you're saying the savior of the world and maybe your God is this? That's nuts. Yeah, I think of it as like, what were the two emotions of those people mm-hmm. groups back then? So it's like the, the Jews were like, wait, like what? what? What's happening? What is this? And you got all the Gentiles like, Psh, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, so in verse 18, another observation going along with what both of you are saying now, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So there's this message about Jesus, who he was and what he did on the cross for us. And for those of us who are perishing, people who are perishing would say about that message, that's foolishness. Stop talking to me about that nonsense. And they're perishing. But for those of us who, who are being saved, 
we have come to a place where we have recognized, oh no, if you will, if you will dig in, if you will lean into this message of what Jesus did on the cross, there is a power that comes with it that is transformational in your life. So same message, two different responses, two different results. Uh, one observation I have here is uh, kind of that, that paragraph uh, starting in verse 26. Um, Paul says, you know, brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. And when it says called, it means like when you came to faith, like when God called you to salvation. Um, and he goes on to describe, he's like, you guys weren't impressive. <laughs> you know, like not a lot of you were wealthy or had a high standing or, you know, were super impressive to the culture around you. And I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like reading into the situation a little bit, but there it's almost like Paul is contending with their pride a little bit that he's, he's saying you, you really are hoping that by coming to Jesus, you can you can uh, be uh, looked at by your neighbors with respectability. With that you you want to be able to come to Jesus and still have people around you kind of say, "Oh, this is a good thing," and so you're embarrassed, and um, and you're expecting something you know more than than what you feel like you're getting. Um, and Paul's reminding them; he's saying, "Look, none of you guys were impressive. We didn't get a bunch of people from the upper crust of society who are all like, yeah, we're really into Jesus.'" You, you were probably desperate people. You were people who didn't have a lot of reputation or whatever. And you embraced a, a message that sounded foolish. But even with that, you've got to remember that God is powerful in that, almost precisely that, like deliberately that. Like he didn't go for the obvious influential, powerful people in society. He picked the people who you'd say, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect a whole lot from you. Um, and God's working there. Like it's, it's a surprising, amazing uh, thing, the contrast between the weakness of the people and the power of what God's doing with them. Yeah. And, and this might take us a step back in the comma method into context again, but what comes right before this, Paul, you know, Paul starts his letter with Thanksgiving, which they always did with New Testament letters, but then he immediately moves into addressing stuff and the stuff that he was starting to address is division among them which had some pride involved in it. People wanting people wanting position, people wanting power, people wanting prestige. And so Paul is chipping away at that kind of that kind of thinking and how it's damaging the church. Yeah, if you look in uh, chapter 2 verse 1, uh, Paul even kind of puts himself in the, there and says when I came to you, uh, he did the opposite. He didn't come with eloquence of human wisdom. He uh, as he proclaimed the testimony, he just resolved to do nothing but just tell him what Christ has done in his life and then let the Holy Spirit do the rest of it. Like he, he came with the Holy Spirit's power, not in his own, like this is my own ability. I'm going to come and impress you with my eloquence and my words and my stature and the way I looked and all of that stuff. It was, I'm just going to come and tell you about Jesus. Yeah. And we remind ourselves that the Greeks loved all eloquent yep. teachers. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. When you're reading New Testament letters, remember that you have the author writing to a specific group of people addressing very specific things. Now, sometimes we have letters that are circular. In other words, they were meant to be passed around from group to group. But that doesn't change the fact that very specific things are being addressed. So, try to take note of the tone of the letter. Is it happy, encouraging, and saying way to go? Or is it challenging, direct, and correcting things that need to change? Sometimes paying attention to the overall tone helps you get to a good message and application. Is there something here that's praiseworthy that I should keep doing or work into my life? Or is there something here that serves as a warning to stay away from? 
or to stop doing. And this has been your comma tip of the week. It's a good one for Corinthians. That's good. All right, let's move on to the uh, first M in comma. And really, the first M in comma could be either M. So uh, we talk about this a lot with the comma method. Uh, those two M's are message and meditation. Message is when you kind of sum up what you think it means. Um, and meditation is when you're uh, prayerfully thinking um, and you know talking to God about uh, what this, this passage means. So today, I'd like us to start with meditation. And I think there is a verse here that captures uh, a lot of the themes we've already touched on here um, that is really worth pondering. It's verse 25, and it says this. So I'm going to read it to you and give you about 45 seconds uh, to prayerfully ponder this verse, and then we'll come back and talk about message. Verse 25 says this, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. All right, let's talk about the second M in comma, which is message. How would you guys sum up a message from the things that you observed? Uh, my message comes from uh, chapter two, uh, verse four, where Paul says, um, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, and it's it's this. My message is: don't be afraid to sound foolish for the gospel. It's a good message. My message is three words: Christ is central. Hmm. Uh, so the word, the the verse that Clayton had us meditate on for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. Uh, just refocusing us on the fact that this is all about God. And if you're around church long enough, you know, people tend to have their favorite teachers or I'll, I'll, I'll be talking with people who go away to some conference or something and they hear this super complex, eloquent thing that they've never heard before. And all of a sudden they're so fixated on it and they want everyone else to know this, hear this new teaching that is so revolutionary. That always scares me. Christ is central. Our message is Christ crucified. Uh, my message is based off of those verses that talk about the Jews and the Greeks and their different reactions to the the, the message of the cross and uh, thinking about uh, different cultures. And so I, I normally we try to sum it up in one sentence, but I have three sentences. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I have a, like a sermon being you, written, like three-point oh, sermon. You just gave us the overview of the comma method know, earlier in this episode, and now you're going to violate it. It's and there are it's he's a tens of thousands of new listeners oh, for America, this episode. I am, I, am, I am letting you down. I'm not setting a good example. Here is one of the things about the comma method. It is not a rigid thing. It mm-hmm. is a guide. So uh, every once in a while, you can flex it. We also say that, too. We also say that, too. Um, here, here's my message. The three sentences go together. So um, there is no culture that the gospel does not confront. There is no culture that does not resist the gospel. 
and there is no culture where the gospel cannot save. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, all right, every time the message of the cross is preached, it may not be the same thing as the other group, but your group, your culture, your background, your personality is going to have something you don't like about that. That's going to rub you the wrong way and say, eh, do I have to do that? And there is, for every person in every culture, there is something about that you're going to resist. You're going to say, uh, some of this I can buy, but this, could we modify that? Um, and and it's going to be, a, that's going to be the hurdle. That's going to be the stumbling block. Um, but what Paul keeps reiterating is he's saying, as much as this looks like it's confronting a culture and the culture's pushing back, it there are, there are people who are getting saved in all of those cultures. And whatever that is, there's power in the gospel that breaks through that, that suddenly you find people who otherwise would say, this sounds foolish, saying this suddenly is the most wise thing I've ever encountered. It's the most powerful thing I've ever encountered. This is my hope. This is everything for me. And so there, there is that um, tension of every culture resists, but the gospel is powerful in every culture. All right, now we're going to talk about the A and comma, which is application. This is when it hits your life. You got to say, what am I going to do in response to this? Uh, so my application, based on my message, don't be afraid to sound foolish for the gospel. Kind of, it stems off of what you said earlier in one of your observations, where um, people might feel embarrassed to say what they believe. Uh, maybe they feel embarrassed because they're not sure they know how to say it, or maybe they just feel like it would be weird for them to talk about how they believe in a Jesus who died and rose again, and people might think they're crazy or absurd. Um, and I think the application is to to don't don't be afraid to tell people what Jesus means to you, what he's done for your life, what you know to be true about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what you've heard in the Bible, what you've heard taught about in church, and share with people very honestly what that means for your life and how he's changed your life, and trust that the Holy Spirit would take your words and make it effective. It's not what you say or how you say it, it's you being faithful to testify about Jesus and then trust that the Holy Spirit will do what only he can do to make it work in people's life. I wonder what would happen if we did an evangelism training where we told people, here's the only thing you're allowed to say mm. to people. Christ died for you. Questions? And see where those <laughs> conversations go? That'd be an, that'd be, be an, an be interesting, interesting evangelism training. It'd be an interesting experiment. And I have a, I have a, uh, a suspicion that God's spirit might swoop in in those moments, like Nikki was saying, and guide some really interesting conversations. Well, and the, and the fact that that to me sounds like a dumb idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I say, if we tried that, that wouldn't be effective is, is almost the problem, right? Like that, that our instinct says something as simple as explaining the cross to people of telling them what Jesus did is not going to work. That's, that's the thing I've got to work on. You know what I mean? Like I've got to resist saying, no, I got to make it really polished and really good. And the simple message might not be enough. Yeah. You, you well, know? I'm just thinking like, if you ask that question, like maybe someone's first question back might be, well, why? Like, who knows, like, where that conversation could yeah. go based on just him saying, well, why would he do that? That's crazy. Why would he do that? So, my application coming from my message that Christ is central, my application is, I'm going to steal Clayton's New Year's resolution, and I'm going to read less books. <laughs> uh, learning is good. I'm, I'm, I'm a learner. I'm curious about things. I'm inquisitive. I like to read. I like to listen to podcasts. I like all of that. But a reminder that Christ is central. The 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 wisdom of business books and organizational leadership books. There's there's some stuff in there you can glean 
Christ is central. The, the wisdom of man is not anywhere even close to the wisdom of God. It's not even close to the foolishness of God, this text says. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, for so sure. Christ is central. Uh, my application uh, is probably similar to Nikki's. Uh, there's a boldness, okay? So like if, if my message is that uh, every culture resists the, the gospel and the, the gospel resists some aspect of every culture, um, and yet the gospel saves in every culture, um, it makes it so that when we share the gospel, like there, there's a temptation, and I, I say this as a preacher, but also someone who tries to talk to people in my personal life, I, I want to find the most persuasive way to present it. You know, I want, I want the least resistance from the person. I want to find the thing that gets around their defenses. And there's, there's some, you know, like appropriateness to thinking about how do people hear things. Um, but if I think I'm going to get around all the resistance in someone's heart by some clever way of talking or, um, you know, thinking it through, um, that's just not true. I, like expecting resistance and being bold anyway, because you know, the gospel can save like it's not it's not surprising to find out someone's like ah, I don't know about that or that sounds stupid or get out of here with that like that's normal mm-hmm. um, but if I believe the gospel has power then that almost confirms it. it's like you know what there's resistance here but that's why we need something powerful so be bold with that so that's my my application is is boldness awesome well there you have it friends thanks for listening this week join us again next Monday for a new episode we'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan and in the meantime if you're not following along check out BibleSavvy.com to download it you can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com lastly tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week Mm -hmm.